This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ayn, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. Harav Yitzchak Yaakov Weiss. I'm not sure how well that name will be known to many, many listeners. However, if I mention the Minchas Yitzchak, I think that many more people will, will recognize the name. Rav Yitzchak Yaakov Weiss, known as the Dayan of Manchester, who came later to Eretz Israel, wrote... Ten volumes, or they printed ten volumes, of Minchas Yitzchak. Rav Weiss was born in Galicia, hung, the Hungarian area, in Onchet Adar, nineteen o two. He was born into a Hasidic family, and had connections with Hasidic rebbe's when he was young. Around the age of twelve he moved to the city of Munkach, which was known as an ultra-Orthodox town. The Rav of the town was known as the Minchas HaLazar, HaRav Chaim Eliezer Shapiro, who wrote Svarim, and they were known to be very extreme in their halachic opinions. The Minchas HaLazar took a liking to the young Yitzhak Yaakov Weiss, and it at a young age, Rav Weiss received smicha from the Minchas Lazar. He also received smicha from Rav Meir Arik. At the age of 20, he was already appointed as a Rosh Hashiva in the city. He moved to Grosswalden. Now, if I remember correctly, Rav Amital lived in Grosswalden and actually lived in the same building as the Minchas Yitzchak. The Grossvarden became annexed to Hungary, was part of Hungary. And during the war, you really were in danger as Shibadele Chaim Tovim HaRav Amital talked about many times and the Minchas Yitzchak wrote about in a pamphlet that he wrote called Pirsume Nisa to publicize the miracles that occurred to him, that happened to him in which he was saved, they hid many times, and a number of times they both fe- felt they were facing immediate danger. After the community, after the Holocaust, the Rav Weiss was thinking about coming to Eretz Israel, but he was persuaded to go to try to rebuild the community of Grausvoten. In 1949, approximately, he moved to Manchester. Shortly after, he became the Dayan, the Avbezdin of Manchester. Despite requests from other bigger communities, for example, London, he decided to stay in Manchester, where he built a Haredi community. He improved the mikveh, built a kolel, and he stayed there for 21 years. 
And that's why, in many respects, he was known as the Manchester Dayan. But in 1970, in 1970 he came to Eretz and became associated with the Eidah Chavedis. In 1979, when the Rebbe of Satmar passed away, so Dayan Weiss became the head of the Eidah Chavedis. In 1943, he began printing his monumental volumes of Chuvos, Minchas Yitzchak, and he, of course, even at that young age, Yachasit, relatively, he received extraordinary Haskamot from Gedolim of the time. His approach to Chuvos is what I personally think is more of a Hungarian approach, that he starts with many Achronim, finds many, many sources in more or less late literature or even contemporary literature, very often he quotes even journals, that Torah journals that came out in Hungary at that time. More than, for example, a postkim like Rav Moshe Feinstein, who started more from an earlier sources, the Menuchas Yitzhak started from later sources, and he did work backwards. He became extremely known as a posek, and he's very often quoted in many modern svarim and many, many questions today. When Rev. Weiss was nifter in 1989, so Rav Mital went to the funeral, and he told me afterwards that the Malavim, the people that attended the funeral, were almost completely the world, the Haredi world. And Rav Mital said that was a shame. Because we, the world that does not necessarily associate itself with Diane Weiss personally, or with the Eidah Haredis, nevertheless, take Rav Weiss as, an, as a major posek, and many of our own customs are based on the Menichas Yitzchak. When you see, let's say, Shmir Shabbos Kilchasa, and he quotes Menichas Yitzchak all over, and the psak that somehow has seemed to be accepted in many, many places is based on the psak. So Rav Mital felt Rav Weiss is really our Rebbe in a certain sense, and therefore at least out of that appreciation we should have gone to the Levaya. The chuvas that Rav Weiss dealt with include many, many areas. In fact, many of the chuvas that we've discussed in the past uh, shiurim about uh, Chuvos have been discussed also by the Minas Yitzchak. Uh, some of the fam- more famous questions, for example, uh, how to deal with electricity or uh, the idea of uh, stunning an animal before Shechita, which was, of course, the issue that Rabbi Chir Yaakov Weinberg wrote a whole contrast about. The Minas Yitzchak also has uh, putting on tefillin in a hospital where the later on they'll be taken and destroyed. All those type of questions, general 20th century questions, of course, were dealt with Minchas Yitzchak. He dealt with Agunot, and what's interesting is Agunot from the Holocaust, we have seen many chuvas from Israeli wars, we've seen many chuvas. Rav, the Minchas Yitzchak already wrote chuvas about Agunas from the First World War, and when you remember that basically he was a very young man at that time, he was just about 20 years old when he was already dealing with halachas of agunos. 
rather unusual for such a young a young person. In medical issues, of course, he uh, dealt very often with uh, probably mostly members of the Eidah Chavedis. We will discuss today some of the chuvos that seem to me interesting and also somewhat re- a reflection on Rev. Weiss and the Times, but will not discuss chuvos that perhaps are more famous and have been discussed in other areas we that we in the in the past the first chuva i'd like to discuss today is found in the eighth volume of minchas yitzchak when uh, he printed the volume by volume after his uh, patira after the minchas yitzchak passed away as i said in 1989 uh, the committee to publish his works published a a special edition of the entire set of minchas yitzchak and uh, there are ten chalakim that they have all together. One is a mostly um, in the indices for the for the tshuvas. The question that was asked to him in Tavshin Membeis was: Would it be permitted to tell the authorities about those people that endanger lives by driving? Dangerously. Now, when we use the words in English, if I would use some of the words in Hebrew, it might crystallize exactly what my issue is and what the question here is. The question is, can you inform to the authorities? That's Mesira to Shiltonot. Now, the question was asked in Eretz Yisrael. So, the first thing that comes to mind is that generally, when we've been talking about, in throughout Jewish history, we talk about a Moser, a concept of a Moser, a person who informs about Jewish people to the authorities, we're generally referring to non-Jewish authorities, to Shiltonot. Here we're talking, of course, in Eretz Yisrael, to tell the local authorities, in other words, Israeli police, Israeli government, Israeli court system, which... Rabbi Weiss and the questionnaire, the person who asked the question, questionnaire, uh, certainly assumed that the law of the Israeli government, the Israeli police, is not different than the question of saying, uh, informing on Jews to non-Jews, which was a historical question throughout the ages. So, the question was was asked with the understanding that if you tell the authorities, they people might be punished. And the punishments could involve a, a, a fine or a cancellation, at least a temporary cancellation of their driver's license, or could even be put in jail. Now, we know that you're not allowed to inform authorities about Jewish money, Jewish issues. And of course, the word again here would be asur limsol le'erkaot. Now, erkaot generally means non-Jewish courts. And in Israel, of course, there's a major discussion today among the various jurists how we should relate to the to the court system of Israel. Here, I'm not just referring to the court system, I'm referring to the police, the authorities, and the, the government. But the assumption was based on a certain Rambam. The Rambam, uh, the, so what, what would be the question? If you're not allowed to tell their cause, then why would you be allowed to tell 
the Israeli government, assuming this is Erkos. So the question is based on a Rambam in Ilchas Chovel Mazik. The Rambam there says, Kol HaMeitzar HaTzibur Mitzaram Mutar LeMosor Biyad Akum LaKoso LaOsro LaKansar Anyone who causes trouble for the entire community causes them anguish. In such a case, you're allowed to deliver him, inform on him, Moser, to the non-Jews who could then punish him, put him in jail, and fine him. Now, the assumption, of course, is that these people who drive above the speed limit in a dangerous manner endanger not just themselves, not just their passengers, but endangers anyone who's nearby. So, could we inform about them? The first thing that Rav, the Manchester Rav, Rav Weiss does, is to discuss actually the exact phraseology of the Rambam. The Rambam says, Asur limsar ha'adam biyad akum. Now it's interesting because in the text that he quotes, the version of the Rambam, the text of the Rambam says you're not allowed to be Moser, to deliver, to inform on any person to to Akum. In, in the Rambam that we have today, it says, Asur limsar Yisrael biyad goyim. Little difference in terminology, which is interesting. And the Rambam said, goes on to say, whether the uh, you inform about anything to do with his money issues or corporal issues, even if he's a Russian, you're not allowed to inform him. However, the Rambam does say, but if it's a person who's causing trouble for the entire community, then you're allowed to deliver him to inform on him to the non-Jews. The first thing we should discuss, is there a source for this? The distinction between a Yachid and a Tzibur, the distinction between an individual and a community. Where do you find this discussion? Where do you find this distinction? Quotes of Gemara in Gitten. The Gemara tells a story that Marukva came and asked the question. He said, there are certain people who cause me pain, cause me trouble, and the Gemara ha'omdim alai. But I have, I could inform upon, upon them to the authorities. Could I do it? He wrote back to him. In the Gemara, they say how he formed the lines. You know, like when you write a Sefer Torah, you have a, a cut above the lines in order to have a, uh, a clear distinction and makes it straighter and neater where, when you write a line. In the Gemara and Gitten, there's a whole discussion, do you have to have sirtut? That's what's called sirtut, to cut out the, the lines, to delineate the lines clearly. Do you have to have that? And therefore, the Gemara quoted this story. But the Gemara there says that, uh, quotes a Pasuk, that he wrote the Pasuk, and he said, you shouldn't do it. So uh, Marukva said, but I, there's a lot, of, I have a lot of pain for, from it. So he said to him, still be quiet, but go to the base Medrash. In other words, invoke your your Torah, your learning, your prayers, and don't worry, the uh, situation will disappear by itself. The Rif, quoting that Gemara, says, you see from here that even when you're in individual pain, you're not allowed to deliver a, or again, limsar, to uh, inform about a Jew to the authorities. But of course, that Gemara could serve as a source that an individual cannot 
be Moser. But where do you see that a tzibur can be Moser? Most of the commentaries in the Rambam do not actually know the source for it. The Chassam Sofer and the Ksav Sofer are quoted by the, Minch, by the Minchas Yitzchak say that Gemara seems to imply that a tzibur could, if a person is dangerous to a tzibur, you could inform on him. Because they say that they told Marukva that he cannot inform on them. And, but they said, but you should go to the base, to the base Medrash and with your, the schus of your Torah, your tefillah, so the problem will be, will disappear. That could be one particular person who has such zuchuyot, he could do it. But with a community that has no person specifically who's going to be involved, so perhaps in that case, you're allowed to inform on him. So, if that is true, the Menachas Yitzchak then turns to our case. He said, someone who drives way above the speed limit, and therefore he cannot break, sometimes chas v'shalom, without creating an accident, then he would have to be considered a rodef. Now, of course, in our generation, we have to be very careful when we use the word rodef. I don't think it means here anything chas uh, that we could take the law into our own hands, but at least we should be able to inform the authorities. And he quotes other sources that in such a case, you are allowed to inform on him to the authorities. He added, even if a person parks illegally, for example, parks on the sidewalk. Now, this is something that everybody who lives in Israel sees all the time. People sometimes park on the sidewalk in, in a way that the pedestrians cannot pass by. So the pedestrians have to walk into the street. Now, when you walk into a street, there's automatically more danger than walking on the sidewalk. So he, the Minchas Yitzchak says, if a person parks on the, on the sidewalk and he forces the pedestrians to walk on the road, which is obviously created, the roads are for the, for the, for the vehicles, for the cars, and therefore it does endanger the pedestrians. In, in that, in that case, he says he's like a person who digs a ditch in Rishus Arabim, and therefore you're certainly allowed to inform on him to the authorities. He does, of course, recommend before you do this, you should speak to the person or speak to your Besdin. And here he's referring to, I would assume, the Haredi Besdin, who were talking about the Haredi communities, and they should inform the person and stop him from behaving in such a fashion. But otherwise, he said, you can go to the authorities. Now, this tshuva, of course, took the position that informing to the Israeli authorities seems to be the same din as going to non-Jewish authorities. So in that respect, the uh, tzibur, uh, the community that I would call the, uh, in English they call it today the modern Orthodox, uh, the, the people who consider themselves Orthodox Zionists, religious Zionists, so will have a different approach to the entire question perhaps. However, one point is important, and that might be more important for the Tzibur Adati Lumi. It might be more important for the national religious parties, constituents, because here he distinguishes a major difference between 
an individual and a community. And today, when we discuss uh, issues that affect the people of Israel, the issues of tzibur are very relevant. And very often, because it's a tzibur, we'll have a different approach to a psak halacha. Here is one example that even in the Minchas Yitzchak of the Eda Charedis, we have the question that will distinguish between a yachin and a tzibur. Another question I'd like to discuss today is one that is also debated and discussed until today. The question appears in the first volume of Minchas Yitzchak, the question about use of gas on Shabbos, or, I'm sorry, on Yantif. The a stove that has gas, a gas stove, we know that you're allowed to cook on Yantif. To turn off the fire is certainly halachically pro- problematic. We could discuss that. But let's assume that turning off the fire is forbidden. The question that many people would like to do is lower the fire. On Yom Tov. Are you allowed to do that? Now the situation in which the question was asked is rather unusual. Today, it's hard for us to imagine the scenario that is portrayed in the question. There used to be, according to the way the question was raised, there used to be a gas stove that supplied gas by putting money into a meter. And if you put money into the meter, you would have a certain amount of gas. Let's assume that you put in whatever amount of money you could put in. You would have gas, let's say, for a certain amount of time. Or a certain amount of gas, not just a question of time. Now, if it, on, on Yom Tov, if a person would leave the fire going the way it was when he was cooking, so you'll run out of gas on Yom Tov itself. And therefore, you won't be able to cook. Let's say in the morning, uh, you go to the first minion, you come home from shul at 8 o'clock, you want a cup of coffee, you make kiddish, you have your coffee, and you heat up the coffee. But if you won't turn off the fire, then let's say four or five hours later, when it's already... Uh, uh, you've used up uh, your perhaps the amount of gas that you paid for, so the fire will go out and you won't have anything to cook lunch with. So is that considered tzarech nefesh? Of course, the uh, he raised the possibility of having a nunju putting in more coins for you, but the assumption was you don't have such a situation. He obviously feels that if you could have a nunju put in money for you, it would be a good solution. In such a case, he would, the question was asked, can you lower the fire? In the first line, Rev. Weiss mentions many people who read Shuvos don't really go through the entire discussion. They just want to see what the bottom line is. Very often, you have to go through a Shuvah to find where the bottom line is written. Here, he starts, He starts right away that there's no heter at all. He said, even if you will run out of gas, you will not have a heter, especially if your purpose is for the second day yantif. That's certainly permitted, for, uh, prohibited. But if it's used for that that day, later in the day, well, there is more of a room, 
more of room to say why it should be mutter letzorich alchon nefesh bo bayom letzorich alchon nefesh of that day. Nevertheless, he said it's forbidden. He mentions the uh, sources of the Ramav, Yam Shoshlamo, and he brings opinions that would allow it. Because he said in the Yam Shoshlamo, he says, let's remember that turning off a fire completely is not Asimidaraisa, it's a Melacha Shainetzrichalagufa. I don't need the absence of fire. Melacha Shainetzrichalagufa is when you do a Melacha, but the actual Melacha you do, you don't gain from. The classic example, of course, is carrying a corpse outside your house. You don't want the corpse in your house, but taking it out of your house is not a constructive work in the fact that I don't need it outside the house. I just don't need it in. I don't want it inside the house. So it's a type of a negative malacha, which is not, we pass and it's not chayev on Shabbos. So therefore he argued, since it's a, a drabanan, and it's serch yantif, so a for, for Ochel Nefesh, so perhaps it would be permitted. And the Yamshel Shlomo does seem to say it's permitted. Rav Y says, if, if that would be true, then it might be uh, permitted even to put the money in, according to the Yamshel Shlomo. Let's remember that putting in the, in the money, we have to understand what the Easter it's, itself is. What's the Easter putting in money? Money is only Muktzah, it's Asad Rabbanan. We have to talk about if it's a, it's a, uh, if it's considered business, Mecca should not be done on Yantif. But in the bottom line, he passed that there's no heter at all. So what should you do? How can you manage? So he suggests that what you should do is while the food is still on the fire, and it, food generally will reach a stage where it's done, and if it cooks more, it will not be beneficial. It will cause the food to burn, in such a case, you can lower the fire because lowering the fire then is actually part of the cooking process to make sure the food stays hot but will not burn. So then you could lower the fire. So he said, then it would be permitted. Keep the fire. Originally, you light the fire to a high flame. Lower it when the food is seems to be ready, but you don't want it to burn anymore. Leave the fire on that low flame and take off the food from the fire and you can cook later. However, someone pointed out to, to the Minchas Yitzchak that this solution would only work if that would be the only way to keep to avoid burning the food. But generally, once the food is done, you're ready to serve it. So just take it off and serve it. You don't have to leave it on the fire. And even if you don't want it to burn, just take it off for a few minutes and put it someplace. You don't have to lower the flame. So therefore, he felt this was also problematic. So he said there are other issues involved and many people who are not aware of the specifics will unfortunately come to Chilyantif. So therefore he just said this whole thing is forbidden. Today, of course, the issue is not a question of, of the money involved in raising the, in lowering the flame. The question, of course, is a waste of gas. People don't want so much heat in the house. Would you be allowed to lower the flame? Or even turn it off. So if the question could be, what's the halachic psak? And the question is also, is there a solution? It's well known that Rav Avadi Yosef suggested a solution. Namely, he said, for example, if you're boiling uh, tea, uh, water for tea, for coffee. So he said what you should do is have the water, or 
fill the pot. Then when it starts to boil, the water will spill over and the water will extinguish the flame automatically. And you're doing it because you're just cooking. You put it on to cook at a high, at a high flame and then the, the flame will be completely extinguished. Of course, this solution uh, could be discussed and debated. Uh, today, of course, the organization, the Machon Somet, the organization that deals with halachic technology, has devised this um, a concept of a chagaz, which turns off the which turns off the gas with the with the uh, the grama concept that Somet has developed. One of the questions that I would also like to refer to today, which is very actual today, and here it's interesting to see if there's a difference in time between uh, when these tshuvas were written. In volume two of Minchas Elazar, the question was asked about making a bracha hagomel on air flight. A person lands safely after a, an air flight. Should he make hagomel? Now, of course, this question was asked, and the discussion was when Rav Weiss was still in Manchester in 1956. And the person who discussed it with him was his mechutten, the Rav Reich, the Chelkos Yaakov from Zurich. And this, again, was an issue that had already been debated in the Torah journals of the time. Uh, there was a journal called Hamar, I'm not sure if it still exists, but the journal Hamar had a discussion about this between the Gedolim. But Rav Weiss quotes another journal called Tel Tapiot that came out in 1934, where the editor there wrote that you, when you travel from one city to another, you do not make a, a bracha at all, even when you travel by land, when you travel by boat, and I never heard that you bench Hagomel in such a case, even if you go by airplane. But the question that Rav Weiss mentioned seemed to be that he felt that you really should not make a bracha because today what he calls technology. In Hebrew, he calls it technik. I assume that means technology. Technology has improved. Now, we're talking already in 1957. He felt, feels there's no uh, real danger in, a, in flying in an airplane. And he said that it seems to me that do, many people do make the bracha because they think that if you pass an ocean or go over a desert, you make a bracha. And in fact, Rav Avad Yosef did paskin that way. The Avad Yosef was quoted here by the Minchas Yitzchak in 1957. That means uh, many years ago, uh, almost 50 years, uh, more than 50 years ago, Rav Avad already paskined a question that was quoted by the Minchas Yitzchak, who said to make a bracha. But he said perhaps Svardi Psak would make a bracha even if you go from city to city. However, the Ashkenazi Psak is not to make a bracha going to city to city. If that's true, by the way, it's one of the rare cases that I know that the Sephardim make brachos more easily than the Ashkenazim. I think generally it's the other way around. But 
Rav Weiss does say that he heard from the Satan Rebbe that you should make a bracha. So he brought a suggestion of the Belzer Rebbe to make a bracha without Shemu Malchus. You make a bracha like Baruch HaGomelech without saying the names of God. And the Minchas Yitzchak felt that he could support such a reason because he said, let's remember, there is no great, there is no great danger today in airplanes. And moreover, if there would be danger, why would people enter such a situation of danger? When a person voluntarily enters a world of danger, should they make a bracha? Hagomel? Do they really consider it a gomel? He quotes a very interesting discussion from a sefer called Machzik Bracha, when a person was asked if Yitzchak Avinu should have been Gomel after the Akeda, or the Gemara in Chagiga that talks about the Arba Shenichnasula Pardes, that mystical Pardes that the the four Gedolim entered, should they bench Gomel when they come out, or the Kohen Gadol Yamakipurim? The Kohen Gadol went into the Kachek Adashim and people apparently held their breath until the Kohen Gadol came out b'shalom and they made such a big party. Emes maned daraya Kohen Gadol and they were so happy to see him. Should he bench Gomel? So he said perhaps Hagomel shall only be made on a situation that created danger but not of your own volition, not if a person himself wanted to go into a situation is dangerous. Is it really dangerous? And if he did go into it, should he really make the bracha? So at the end, Rav uh, Minchas Yitzhak approves of the uh, of the solution of the Belzer Rebbe to make the bracha Today, of course, this issue has been greatly debated, whether a person should make a bracha. Now, if you go on intercity travel, like a person would go from uh, New York to Washington, or New York to, even to California. You really could go by car. You don't have to go by plane. Of course, it would take much longer, and statistically, it's even more dangerous. But I don't think that if people took a long car ride, they would bench Gomel. So why would they bench Gomel going on an airplane even for such situations? You could argue that if you go from Eretz Israel to America or, vice, or across oceans and deserts, Actually, when you go to California, you also go over the desert. But if you go over oceans, you go over deserts. So perhaps you're considered holchim uh, over hayam, holchim midbar, which the Gemara says you make a you you do make a bracha on. But in that case, there has been a big question of of, of psak. The psak of the Minchas Yitzchak here is you do not make the bracha b'shem malchus. If you'd like to make the bracha without shem malchus, he approves of the suggestion of the. Belzer Rebbe.